When you're an American Express Platinum Card member, don't be surprised if you say things like, Chef, what course are we on? I've, I've lost count. Or, shoot that, shoot that! And even, checkout's not until 4, so... Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants, elevated experiences at live events, and 4 p.m. late checkout at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. Looking for a new high-end mascara without breaking the bank? The new L'Oreal Paris Panorama Mascara gives you a high-end lash look in a premium gold luxe packaging. It's all about panoramic volume and fully fanned-out lashes. With its tapered brush, the new Panorama Mascara catches every single lash, giving you the false lash look without any of the hassle. Say goodbye to clumps and flakes, because this mascara is specially formulated to resist them all day with up to 24-hour wear. And the best part? It performs better than Luxe mascaras at only a fraction of the cost. You can buy Panorama Mascara on Amazon today. Welcome to the Nerds Podcast number 660. Fuck yeah. <laughs> Wait, we stopped at 60. I'm just excited for 666. I got so stoked <laughs> that I stopped listening to you to celebrate. It was like a touchdown you, pass right or You right jumped before. ahead a little oh. bit. My brain just goes to the devil so quickly. I'm so sorry. Uh, no, it's all right. Or, you know what, though? It seems to be working out great for you. Our Dark Lord will forgive me, so. Uh, do we have anything from the Nerdist Community Corkboard? Somebody sent a remix of that. i got to forward that to you. Please do. It's a good time. Um, this one uh, I almost want to just go to. Uh, in Portland, Tennessee. Yes. They're having the Strawberry Festival that they have annually in that town. Fantastic. Only this year it's being invaded by the 501st Stormtrooper Brigade. What? And the Grand Marshal of the Berry Parade is the one and only Darth Vader. Now, I have a, I've been given a special certificate from the, fi- from the 501st. Really? And they, uh, they're a good group. Did they make you like a lieutenant? Like, you know, like when you get deputized? Well, yeah. Can you kind murder of. rebel scum? I can murder rebel scum. That's right. But I kind of work both angles. But don't tell them that. Well, I mean, you said it under. I mean, Empire doesn't. They gave it to, to me at Star Wars Celebration few years ago. Which the Star Wars Celebration's coming up again Ooh. in about a week and a half. It's uh, it's up in the Anaheim. Anaheim. This year. Yeah, it's in Anaheim. Yeah, you should go there. I, I wanted to so do that lip syncing Strawberry contest. Festival in Portland. Tennessee. It's a strawberry. It's it's uh, May eighth and 9th. And it is uh, their whole, the theme is May the Berries Be With You. Great. Not much of a stretch. <laughs> that, Katie liked that, of all things, because it's so lazy. I love it. It's, it's great. May the Berries Be With You. Uh, and yeah, and the 501st are going to be running around. So it's just going to be, you're going to eat strawberries. You're going to hang out with stormtroopers. Darth Vader is going to be cramming strawberries into the and ventilator. And are you only allowed to eat dark pieces. berries because it's the, because it's the, the, the Empire? Oh, or you'll be taken away. Yeah, okay. That's fine. I like the idea that it's imperialism coming in with the strawberries. Too. There is kind of a dark under tone to it when the 501st comes in. Anything else on the community court uh, Yeah, uh, I'm going to go with uh, this one. It's a podcast called We Talk Games, okay. where every uh, week they go out and they find vintage arcade machines from yeah. back in the day, yeah, yeah. play them, and then review the experience as adults compared to their experience as kids running around in arcades. Please play Robotron 2084. I feel like favorite. that might have been one of the episodes that I saw when I looked them up, because this podcast looks awesome. Okay, good. <laughs> Thank you very loaded much. loaded up on my iPod and ready to go. Thank you, Kyle Clark. No problem. I'll be performing a mini Minneapolis this weekend. It'll be Friday, April 10th. And in 
Madison, Wisconsin, April 11th. I believe the Madison show is sold out, and the first show in Minneapolis is sold out, but I believe there are still a handful of tickets available to the second show, the 1030 show in Minneapolis. If you go to funcomfortabletour.com, uh, one of my best friends, April Richardson, is opening for me on the she's road. She's a national treasure. I adore her, and she's hilarious, and uh, and she will be she will be with me. And we'll do a show and find some good donuts somewhere. If you know of a good donut place in Minneapolis that's open late, Ooh, let me I know. I imagine that has to exist. This episode is uh, Billy Crystal returns to the podcast. That's a sentence that you never thought you'd get to say. And, and he was fantastic. And then Josh Gad, who's also great. Um, Josh... Uh, sprung to fame in the uh, the Book of Mormon and then has worked a ton since then and he's a super good dude we're actually pitching a show together and uh, and, and and the show the comedians which by the way the showrunner is, is a guy that I've known since college a guy named Ben Wexler really who's great and I'm so happy that he has because we watched uh, Jonah and I watched some of the episodes of the comedians before they came on and it's fan-fucking-tastic I don't know that FX they're not really good at putting out comedy shows uh, like yeah, they're the I mean, best like, thing in the I industry mean, consistently for like a decade now. (laughs) So the show, Comedians, uh, premieres tomorrow from the time this goes up, April 9th at 10 p.m. on FX, and you should absolutely watch it. Do you remember when Billy Crystal said he thinks he's going to do stand-up again? Yeah, I remember. I got real excited. I invited him to come do beta tests at some point. I maybe during beta tests last night was hoping Billy Crystal was going to show up. No, I haven't heard from him yet. I haven't heard from him yet. (laughs) But he should do it. Billy Crystal, do it. There's podcast number 660. Katie, roll the thing. Now entering... Nerdist.com Katie, are we recording? Yes. Oh, why am I yelling? (laughs) Sorry. Katie? Katie! Anywhere, my candies. Rose. Rose. I didn't know that. <laughs> Do you guys, I think we, we can we can squeeze you guys all in. Oh, no scout today. Wait. Oh. Will somebody get a picture of me and Billy and, and the Nerdist group? Yes. Pretending to be talking on, on, on my microphone. Actually, would you mind just pretending to be listening to me while I'm talking? Yeah, oh, absolutely. Oh, who are you? Oh. <laughs> Seriously. I'll tell you right after Who is this sweet That's Jonah. Yeah. I'm Jonah. Hi, you Were you there when we did the show? And I was the... not able to come up that weekend. Oh, Matt was there. Matt was there, but was uh, really I was not fun. able to come up. That's yeah, pretty great. That look pretty interesting. I it's pretty. I think it's well. Yeah, because Billy Crystal's face is excised. Do you want me to take one from over this side? Yes. Yeah. Billy, look at the camera. Not be in fear of it. So on this shot, what I want you to do is I want you to pretend like you want to be with us. Okay, Marty. <laughs> One, two, three. Thank you. Yeah, that was really fun. Pixar's yeah. pretty amazing. It was a great, it was a great weekend. Oh, you went up to Pixar? Yeah, yeah. yeah. When they did bad. Monsters University, I we went up there. I just went for the first time. It's the most unbelievable place. I wanted to literally quit what I do and go work there just as live an animator. There. Yeah. My friend Rashida Jones is writing a new movie for this, Toy Story 4. Yeah. And she's up there all the time. That's uh, you, the, the benefit that you have for being a recognizable person is that you could just go walk around there, and I don't think anyone would stop you. You'd just be like, oh, I'm working on that, and then just trail off yeah. whatever you're saying. I should just like, do that. that. I should just go. I never dad. wanted to leave. I never wanted to leave that place. It's magical. I took a picture with the big lamp in the front. That I know. Yeah. I did it's that. So it's nice. like going to Disneyland. It's everything you want to take a picture of. Yes. I took a picture with uh, one Mike Wazowski. What? I know. My friend, who's at the entrance. 
You're at the both entrances because they have the Monsters Inc. characters in one, right? And then they have the Monsters University characters in the other. Do they? It's just you get younger in every building. <laughs> much, like my, much like my bio. I'm 46 in my bio. <laughs> Billy Crystal is the one who sued IMDb for revealing ages. He's like, uh-uh. You guys got to do it. I did not do that. I'm much younger. I did not do that. <laughs> well, Josh said it, so I think it must be true. It must true. be true. Like, not, well, okay. Then. And, and because he said that, Wikipedia can now source yes, it. Yes, that's so right. It's a thing. This is a thing. Uh, Billy Crystal's officially 46 years old and has sued IMDb. No, I did Please, please, anyone out there? Can Spreading well, I'm looking at it right now on the me. internet. Help These me. motherfuckers. <laughs> I mean, it's That's all right me here. Too. That's not me, too. <laughs> says definitely Billy Crystal. Not I mean, me. It says, not me. It says right there. Definitely Twitter Billy Crystal. Must be not, Billy Crystal. No, That's I don't think so. Don't think so. <laughs> Uh, I'm very excited for your show because I just watched I wa- I just got it and I watched the first episode of it last night and uh, I didn't I had, didn't know what it when I got the thing I'm like oh I didn't know they were doing a and it's a dream besides you guys too it's a dream team yes, yes. Yeah. I've known Ben Wexler since college oh he's the best and and Larry Charles and, and like it's Borat, am- Bruno Curb Seinfeld the guy yeah. is just uh, unreal how long do you think when you guys are doing press junks before someone's like so did you audition for this part like not really <laughs> like, no I'm- I, it would be a confusing question <laughs> uh, one of which we would answer no we did not right. Billy actually was involved before I was you want to tell the yeah well I was sent this uh, show from Sweden which with all due respect to Sweden I don't think of it as the funny place <laughs> it's, it's dark at noon and then, then they drink yep. and um, these two actors the, the show was called The Comedians and these two brilliant guys it's, it's our premise a veteran comic team with a younger guy reluctantly to do a late night sketch show uh, for the network and they don't like each other they don't think either one is funny but in their heart they know that they really need each other at the same time so I watched the first one and five minutes into it I'm thinking I, I want to do this because for me it was a chance to, to, to play a version of myself and also whoever at that point was going to be teamed with me was going to be somebody great hopefully and we would be able to do sketches and live sketches in front of a live audience which we had envisioned right away and at that point you didn't realize you were going to have to settle for me, <laughs> there was still hope. That's it true. It was still like you were still dreaming of possibilities. Right. And um, but Andy Dick is such a different way to go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, such but, a different way to go. You know, he just didn't want to do it. No, and yeah. so no, Josh, uh, uh, no. You know, his quote was way too high for what they were <laughs> yeah. what they were getting. And, to and, and then we set out to to you know put the team together to pr- first of all to produce it. And so that we reached out, people kept coming in, coming in, and, and then Larry came in, and I knew I wanted him right away from our first meeting. And then Ben and Matt Nix came in as a team, and I didn't really know them, but when we talked and spent some time together, we all said, let's do this together. And then we set out to you know, put the creative team together, and that's when we, I met Josh at a... Benefit for Billy Crystal. It wasn't a benefit for me. It was, <laughs> I was money being, for your IMDb was, campaign. Was, all right. yes. the legal it was not a benefit. We got to go pay yeah. the legal fees. You know, <laughs> these kids today. I was being honored at the Geffen Theater. It was a benefit for the Geffen Theater. It was. Billy was being an honoree, and they asked me to come in and sing to him, which was kind of a dream come true. I grew up 
with about five legends that I sort of wanted to be like. And also Billy Crystal. And so for me, <laughs> no, but Billy was literally one of those people. He, I remember seeing Princess Bride at a young age, and it, it just left this indelible impression on me. And I always tell Billy the story about when I watched Comic Relief 5 with he, Robin, and Whoopi, I literally wanted to jump into the screen and be a part of that trio. I looked at him and I go, this is what I want to do with my life. His, his charisma, the way that he owned the stage, all of it, I was, I was just mesmerized by. And then his Oscar hosting and everything else. That's so enough. When you get... <laughs> Who are you rather yeah. for? What if it was like, well, it's Billy and Frank Stallone, Mussolini. Uh, Frank, like, Frank, yeah. Stallone. <laughs> Frank Stallone. Frank <laughs> Just like Roger oh, Clinton. <laughs> A real murderer's so row. Weird is, you know, Billy out. Carter was great. Uh, <laughs> Rabbit Marinville, weird <laughs> relative, um, and Yogi Berra. And Yogi Berra, of course. <laughs> He's not even real. And so, I to get an opportunity to work with a legend like that, oh, who yeah. you admire the hell out of. So we met. I'm going to stop you because it's just too much. No, 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 no. no it's just, it's it disappointed me we, in every we spoke. <laughs> he was sensationally sang a number from um, what was the show you did? A little show called Book of Mormon. And so he sang Man Up, and he was great. And we're backstage, and um, Carl Reiner was there, and um, Clint Eastwood was there. Oh, that's right. And uh, Morgan Freeman. Morgan Freeman was there, <clears throat> and um, that was pretty great. Because Morgan was narrating all my day. <laughs> that was part of the honoree. Billy he actually did the, the voiceover of my day. <laughs> Billy <laughs> got up and more. took a shower just like he does every day. <laughs> Reaches for the uh, <laughs> and um, so then he so then we spoke, and and he was coming in the next day. To meet with Larry, Ben, and, and Matt and I. And usually those meetings are a half hour, 40 minutes. We were there three hours. And by the time we were past the, the, the spraying of the musk and the running together and butting of the heads, um, <laughs> we started doing, we were just improvising stuff. And then he left, and we didn't want him to go. We all looked at each other and said, well, you know, cancel a call of Jack Black. <laughs> this guy. <laughs> no, it was, and it, was just, it just felt right, and he's, he's so multi-talented. And, and what surprised me was, because I had only seen Book of Mormon, which was, first of all, sensational. Um, when you see somebody for the first time, and you go, who's this guy? You know, and I'd seen him on a daily show uh, and so on, but that's not... His thing, when he's in front of an audience, he comes alive, and he was, his timing was unusual and great, and his power on stage, and his, the way he handled himself, I just thought we were, you know, this was going to be the perfect match, and it, it's proven to be. So what was the decision to essentially play characterized versions of yourselves? We all met and said, all right, so am I Bobby Goldman? Who am I? Right. You know, and we all said... Maybe we should just play ourselves. And Matt, but Larry and Matt and Ben went, well, you would do that? You would do that? Because <laughs> that'll really And by help. the way, it is a scary... I'm terrified three weeks before we premiere. At, there's something so gratifying and terrifying at the same time. Because you are playing versions of yourselves. But you're playing heightened, very meta versions that aren't quite you. But if audiences don't know you well enough, they could assume that that is you. Yeah. And we make some bold choices on the show. And we do some things that I don't think Billy and I on a daily basis might do. And that's the joy of it. But it's also scary as hell. Because you're assuming that everybody's in on the joke. And that's what you're hoping right. for. Yeah. But that was the fun of it. That's why we immediately were like, if we're going to do this, the only way to really do it, and it's the way the Swedish show does it, is... They are playing themselves. They're big comics in Sweden. 
And we were like, if we're going to do it, let's let's go all the way with it. And the show goes beyond just the meta of of casting the two of us playing ourselves. You also have Larry Charles, who's directing the pilot, in the pilot, playing a director who's fired from the pilot. Have- <laughs> I loved him. I was so sad yeah. to see I him. Know. I know. I know. And there's this rabbit hole of meta on the show that I think, you know, there's a precedent for it in Curb Your Enthusiasm and shows like Larry Louis. Sanders and Louie. But this, I feel, takes it even one step yeah. further in its dis- is descent. It, is it more fr- freeing in a way? Like, can you go farther out because you're playing yourself and it's ridiculous? Or can you, do you have to keep a little more grounded? You have to keep a little more. It's a very fine line, I have to say that. Because there's some things I would go up to them after seeing a page and go, I can't, I can't do that. I'll go. I'll do this, but I won't do that. That's right. a little too much. But usually, I, I cross my own personal line <laughs> several times. You really do. But I, yeah. yeah, we both sort of like. At first, we'd get these pages, and you're so vulnerable because you're like, "Well, somebody's writing this thing about me. So, do they think this is yeah. who I am? And is this their perception of me? <clears throat> and so, we'll talk it out." And there were some difficult episodes where Billy and I have to go after each other and do it in a way that's, you know, that is a hyper, again, a hyper meta version of who we are. And so we would always come up to each other after we would do one of those scenes and be like, we okay? <laughs> we, we know that even, know though, yeah, even though we don't have different character names and even though we're calling ourselves Billy and Josh, I want you to know that that's not what I think about you. And Billy would say vice versa. And we'd be on with it and that was that was challenging at times but i feel like we not only went there but we completely pot committed to it and yeah. and you didn't look to. back yeah i think for i think it's fun for i think the, the the layer that i think comedy nerds will really enjoy is watching this the generational like like watching a guy who's been around for a while who who appreciates joke structure and versus like a young yeah. punk comic who's yeah. just like and then I'll suck your cock yeah. and you're like why do you have to you know like just watching the yeah, watching the I, I completely I right. so yeah. understand because that's the, every conversation comedians have is like I don't know if they're doing it right yeah. these kids I don't know just absurdity way, on absurdity come that's on the essence of the show I always joke around that the show. <laughs> doesn't need to be called the comedians. It could be called the butchers. It could be called, you know, the tailors, the car salesmen. It's about the disconnect that exists in, I think, every vocation between younger and older generations and their approaches, especially right now when over the past 50 plus years, you've seen a huge, huge gap in terms of technology and everything else. And how people approach things is completely different now than people would have approached things back then. Comedy's no different. Billy comes from an era that, ironically, I actually relate to more than my character on the show because <laughs> I grew up I grew up almost with the same exact storyline as Billy. His first, the first time he ever knew that he wanted to be a comedian, it was in the Catskill Mountains. Watching we a comedian. Watching a, that was my very first encounter with comedy where I looked at the stage, I looked at this Borscht Belt comedian and I said, I want to do that. Like an eerie sort of similarity. But generationally, you do see that disconnect and you do see younger alt comics who are sort of trying to uh, come from a place of irony and come from a completely different place than the joke structure uh, that, that the previous generation came from. And I love that. I love the battle of those two types of approaches to the same goal. <clears throat> I like seeing characters where one is like, I was influenced by you, and the other guy's like, 
no, you weren't. Like, the, like the guy being like, how? I don't see it. You right. know, like, see, because there are, you know, when I look at all the comics who influence me the most, and certainly it'd be you and Steve Martin and right. Seinfeld and Kinnison and Stephen Wright and Emo Phillips and Pryor oh, and, Emo Phillips. and Bill Hicks yeah. and like, Bill Hicks. And all, all these people. And I don't see any of my, I see nothing about any of that group in what I write now. Right. Which is sort of, which is sort of strange. So do you think. You just take molecules here and there, and somehow it kind of snowballs and forms. Yeah, see, I don't think it's strange. I think you absorb, you know, all kinds of things, and then you use what you when you find yourself as you get, you know, more mature and and grow, and your taste develops on your own. Then you find your own way, and I think that's what's that's what uh, I think is happening. Does it really make you uncomfortable when people are like, "You really influenced my career"? Is like, is it sort of? Do you go, "Okay, okay, yeah, it's weird. I don't know." No, I love it. Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's very sweet. Who but influenced it, you? Well, uh, everyone I saw influenced me. You know, the ones that I loved were, you know, when I grew up in the fifties. Um, my youth was in the fifties. My comedy taste developed it starting in the sixties with with uh, Stan Freeberg. Um, Mel and Carl, 2,000-Year-Old Man, um, uh, Lenny Bruce, uh, Bill Cosby, um, before he became a bartender. <laughs> um, Robert, Robert Klein, the amazing George Carlin, who was funny for 50, 60 years. Carson. Uh, yeah, and then everybody, uh, from Bob Hope to Johnny. Tom Lehrer, were you a Tom Lehrer fan? Yeah, you know, I love Tom Lehrer. The, the musical parodies would, you know, would later play into things that I did on the Oscars. Yeah. You know, um, and, and all of those really funny people. Plus, every Sunday night was the Ed Sullivan Show. And, you know, we didn't have, we had three channels, two, four, and seven on your local station. So we had, what, six channels, seven mm-hmm. channels to play with? But Sunday nights was comedy time. So then you'd get the more traditional guys, like Alan King, you know, who was always sensational on the shows. But for me, I would watch Steve Allen because Steve was what Letterman later would become, um, uh, what, what Jimmy really is doing now. Steve did all those things before anybody else. And he had a great group with him. Don Knotts, uh, Tom Post, and Louis Nye, the man on the street stuff. Yeah. All of these things, I, I encourage anyone who wants funny, find the albums, listen to them. Nichols and May, live on Broadway, yes. one of the greatest comedy oh, albums of all time. So it's, for me, I, my, you know, my dad had a record store, and he would bring home these comedy albums. So those albums became my rock and roll. I don't know much about rock and roll music, but I know the album, the comedy albums. That's what I listen to. It's it's amazing that now, <clears throat> and maybe uh, maybe this is just sort of like old man get off my lawn talk. But I remember listening to <laughs> albums over and oh, comedy albums over yeah. and we over did, and we? over we and did. over. I yeah. mean, like I know. But even by the way, like that was even happening in the nineties. Like I grew up listening to Sandler's stuff over and over and over again. Yeah. And Sandler that, and Young. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> one was Belgian Adam and, and one was. <laughs> I've been the Sandlers. Like Tollbooth uh. Willie and all that stuff was sort of like so influential. Yeah. I grew up listening to the LP of the original season of Saturday Night Live. My parents had like an LP of it. Uh, even the Second City, like Second City has 
these incredible records. Uh, Fireside Theater, just the Fireside Theater. Fireside was the greatest. Yeah. And what is reality? <laughs> <laughs> um, Pep Rally. And of course, what was the what was a Canadian show that uh, Moranis came from? SCTV. SCTV. Yeah. Like all that stuff. I listened to those albums religiously. Steve Martin, like all that stuff. But I don't feel like we do that anymore. I don't no. feel like because people are just like, rah, 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 yeah. right. like they yeah. just right. eat, they consume something immediately. Like, and I guess it's also because of YouTube. You can watch comedians now. It's a, it's all instantly accessible. Well, it's 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 also I think just the ubiquity of content. I mean, there you know, it's like what you were saying. There was just less content, so when you got something, you really drilled down on it. But now it's like. There's so yeah. much yeah. of There's almost everything. Too much. We used to when Steve uh, when um, after Steve, he was so influential on me. Just watching him, he became like this, and I got to know him very well. His mother, his mother, his wife played my mother on in City Slickers. Um, Jane Meadows, it's uh-huh. her, her voiceover, um, and I did Steve's show v- v- as frequently as I could out here. Um, then came Ernie Kovacs. Yeah, Kovacs. If you watched his show, had no studio <laughs> studio audience. But it was hilarious because he'd have a small group of stagehands, and they'd laugh, and he encouraged them to laugh. So maybe you heard five or six guys, and you felt like you were in on the joke, and you were in on something really special and really amazing. And his visual content, he died in 62. So his oh, vi- wow. Yeah, so his visual content way back then was unbelievable. He's doing a lot of weird, surreal stuff. So he has a comedy half hour that's silent. <laughs> he's, in a, he's, in a, he's in a museum, and he plays this schleppy character who walks through a museum, and it's all silent. It's amazing. And he, he was sponsored by Dutch Masters Cigars, and he, sm- he smoked big cigars. So um, he did one underwater... And he's totally underwater, with, and he's smoking a cigar, and he blew milk out of his mouth, so it looked like it was smoke. <laughs> but it was, he did it live. It was like, he was like, and the Nairobi Trio, and, and um, Percy Duff tonsils, and all of these characters he created. Um, you know, getting back to who influenced me, those, those guys were like giants. So when people say, like, oh, you were such a big influence, you go, oh, yeah, yeah, but these guys over here, they were the guys. Well, they make you want to do it. You know, they make you want to do it. I mean, who's funnier... Then Phil Silvers and Bilko. That character is astoundingly funny. I mean, he was aggressive and funny, and he was, oh, get along. I mean, they were, <laughs> these, were, these were like what we would call starker guys. They were big, strong, vaudeville performers who were now being plugged into the new medium of television. Yeah. And do, Sid, of course. Do you, oh, you, who I didn't, I don't even think I realized until Mel Brooks was on the show a couple of years ago. I didn't realize Sid was alive until kind of recently. Right. He passed yeah. away recently. Yeah. yeah, two years ago. But I, I mean, I, I think he was a guy that I just like, oh, he, I think he might have. By the way, I went into a New York deli when I was doing Book of Mormon, <clears throat> and I saw one of the coolest things. I wish I had taken a picture, but it was Mel, Sid, and I believe Carl, all sitting at um, Edison, the Edison Hotel restaurant. Right. And I literally shit my pants. I was like, <laughs> are you kidding me? These three giants of comedy. Yeah. Hanging out like people. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Did you talk to him? I didn't. I was too nervous. I was. I, was too, I would be too. Yeah, I was too intimidated. Because there's no way to... 
How do you even approach that? Group? No, no. The, the the fan part of your brain squashes down any uh, coherent thought yeah, or sentence that might come out, and it's just there's. It, I don't just, know even what I, I don't you guys. You guys are also do what I like. Oh, you're right. I like. You. I I was very fortunate to have. First of all, Mel is and Carl are very, very good friends, and Mel makes an appearance on on the show. That's a great scene. That's it's a, a re- it's scene. really funny. Yeah, I love that scene so much. And, the um, so, yeah. <laughs> I became very friendly with Mr. Caesar, and um, had um, when he died, I wrote a piece in the New York Times about him and what he meant to me. Um, he was the Charlie Chaplin of television. This is 1953. 50, you know, first TV stuff was you know started in the late 40s. So five years into it, think of the movie business. In only five years, so you're dealing with Chaplin and Keaton. He was unbelievable, but surrounded himself also like we have a terrific cast in our show with the best people: Howard Morris, Imogene Coca, Carl Reiner, and, and an Mel amazing wrote writing staff. And you know, it's Larry Gelbart, and it's Neil Simon, and later <laughs> Woody, and you know, so it was you know, and he knew that and. He was in failing health, and I, I go up to the house. I got a call that he wanted to see me. I did 460 or something performances of my one-man show Jesus. on Broadway. So there was only one time that I could say I was nervous, and one time I could say I was really nervous. It wasn't opening night. It wasn't closing night. I was nervous when I knew Mel was in the audience, and I was really nervous when, when Sid came. Sid came to my last show here. We moved it from an evening show to a matinee so he could make it because he was not in good health. And he was in a wheelchair then. And, and um, I kept thinking of him the whole time because things that I was doing were all things that I remember him doing. And that, you know, you imitate when you're little. That's all you, you know, you imitate till you start to find your way. And mime stuff and character stuff he was doing in 1953 and 1954, and I'm five years old. And, five, you know, my dad would let me stay up late and really, like, point at the black and white set and so look at this guy, look at this guy, you know. And I went up to the house, and he was very frail. And on, on his bed were screeners from the Academy um, for the, you know, for the pictures. He was going to vote for the Academy Awards, and there was the... Um, uh, the, the, the French film, the actor, the silent movie. What, uh, the, artist. the artist. The artist. And, and it's on his bed. And I said, Jesus, Sid, look at that. Did you like it? Yeah, yeah, I did. Uh, but I said, it reminded me of, and I may name a sketch that he did on Show of Shows, about a silent film actor who's a big star, and then talkies come in, and he's got a very high-pitched voice. <laughs> and now we can't get work. <laughs> But there's a headline that says, talkies are in. And there's a close-up of him, and he goes, I'll talk, I'll talk, I'll talk, I'll talk, I'll talk, I'll talk. And we started running lines from the sketch together, and he's in a hospital bed. And there's a scene where he calls Flo Ziegfeld to get work on Broadway. And I remember at six years old... I had an Aunt Florence, who we call Flo. (laughs) And I would call... I would see her and I would go hello Flo <laughs> and she would laugh hysterically <laughs> and so I'm doing hello Flo with the great Sid Caesar in his bed and it was like it was unbelievable to me um, you know these guys you know are you know for, for comedians uh, of my generation they're they're Tom Jefferson they're Adams they're the founding fathers you know that's who they are for me and I look at them and look at their work still um, and you can now, which is fantastic. 
their work is unbelievable. And it was live on television. It is funny that we get kind of arrogant. As young comics, you get kind of arrogant and you go, oh, I mean... I mean, shit wasn't funny like it is now. And then you watch old old stuff, and you're like, "Oh yeah, actually it was." And but it was very structured, right? And but you still see a lot of like, "Oh, I see the punk rock jokes in there." They're still they're still subverting important things and authority. Well, or if you go back sure. to even the early years of Saturday Night Live, some of the stuff that they were doing would be considered dangerous today. Oh, there's yeah. no question. I mean, it's like yes. We have grown, but it all starts from that, like, crazy 60s, 70s movement where it's like all these guys, including Billy, who was involved in the earliest days of SNL and all that. And watching the the 40th reminded me of how subversive some of that stuff was. That that sketch with uh, Chevy Chase and Richard Pryor is one of them. You could not get away with that on TV today. Never. So you – I didn't – I was working the night that the 40th aired, but I did see them. You were in the monologue. Yes. Did you do anything else on the show? No, it was just – it was – and it was very frustrating because you – I love that studio. It's Yankee Stadium to me. It's like it's a great place to work, and I and everybody was there, <clears throat> and I and I was dying to get up and do something. <laughs> but I had what, two lines in the opening or whatever it was with with Steve and Alec Baldwin and everyone else who was up there, and just being around it again was so great. And and I had an amazing moment. I think I sent you a picture from the studio. I'm, um, it was Sunday afternoon. It was rehearsal. And as usual, nobody knew what they were going to be doing four hours from now. <laughs> and Paul Simon came in from Australia and just arrived and rehearsed, still crazy after all these years, on stage alone. There was maybe five or six of us in the studio. And that sound, the wailing sax solo in that, the organ, his voice, really to me was the sound of SNL mm-hmm. in the beginning. He was so, you know, I think he hosted the second show. and But that sound and, and the words... 40 years later, still crazy after all these years. It was so perfect, you know, and that was, a, that was amazing to see everybody there. And um, that was a really fun red carpet, man. Hmm. Did you, did you, were you hanging out a bunch or were you watching the show? I was there. I, sat, I went in the audience. I finished my little bit and I ran right up into the it was audience. Cra- even crazier than who was on stage was who were, was in the stands. People who never even got up. Yeah. There was some amazing... People, when they would pan across the audience, you'd see all of these like A-listers who had nothing to do with the show. Well, it was so watch. weird. I'm sitting with, with Chappelle, and, and um, across from the aisle is Sarah Palin. I'm going, <laughs> what's, what's going on here? What's going on here? But it was, it was a very special night. I'm you know, really proud to be part of uh, in any way in, that, in the lineage of that show. Do you ever miss traditional stand-up? Yeah, I'm actually I'm thinking about getting back out there. I was uh, we would uh, was driving around last night um after babysitting my grandchildren. <laughs> I thought, you know, we I passed the improv and I went, yeah, I got a couple of ideas maybe one time I'll go up there. Maybe do a little tour maybe. Oh, that'd be fun. I'm itchy. I'm a little itchy. The the show was fantastic to do, you know, my Broadway show, but um and it had elements of stand up in it. But to go out and talk about where I am now and what I'm doing might be a really fun thing to do. Yeah, and it seems like, you know, with the with the I'm guessing I've never done a Broadway show, but it's but it seems like you sort of hone it down and then it's it's kind of its own thing. You can't it, I, with stand-up, you can fuck around and take left and right turns and talk to the audience. But I imagine when you're doing a show, it's like, well, this is kind of how this show works. Yeah, but it was, TV. you know, it was, I, there were moments I could drift, as long as I knew how to come back to a light cue or a music cue. 
you know, because it was it's all you know they're waiting for me to say something that's gonna someone's gonna press a, a switch that's gonna make the lights change and you know because we had a story to tell, but there were many nights I would drift off and find new things and always come back to the to the melody basically you know if that's the jazz of it when it's good. If you're working out around town, would you come in as an unannounced guest and just like drop in on a show? I yeah, I would probably do that, but I, I hate to um, take time away from you know young. Comedians. I think people would be okay with it. No, I, 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 you know, that's very we, considerate, though. No, but I, I, it, it used to happen to me all the time when I first started, and some bigger, big names would come in to, they're going to do their Tonight Show, you know, and and instead of doing the six minutes, they do an hour and a half. And that's the, know, yeah. that's what you don't do. You just don't have to do an hour yeah. and a half. Yeah. But if you did fifteen minutes, like everyone would be thrilled. I think I think yeah. it'd be fun. I it'd think be it'd be fun. really it would fun. be yeah. very exciting for that audience. <laughs> yeah. Wait, what? So I've been I've been a little little itchy. I think you should do it. Did you uh, do you when you're not hosting the Oscars? Do you miss hosting the Oscars? No, I don't. Really? No, I. I it seems it, like a thankless job. Like it seems. It like, can be. Yeah. It can be. It's. it's I feel it's, like was it maybe not so much before <clears throat> and now in the age of social media, it's got every now since everybody's become a critic. You're instantaneously. It's you're real. You got a big target on you, you know. And, and the show is what the show is, and it's hard to make it different. And then when you try, you either either it works or it's just or it just doesn't. And when it doesn't, you're crucified for it. So you know. Well, the I, audience I, I, there does not seem like fun. To to be honest, it's hard. It's hard because they're all in uncomfortable clothes. The first five rows, they're nominated. And within the first hour, four out of five of them have lost, so right. they're not happy. Right. And then you know, and uh, there are so many awards; it's hard to do the bulk of the ones that people are not that interested in. There's a long stretch of, you know, sound effects editing, documentaries. You know, people for the people who made them, this is what they're waiting for. But for the people at home, it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and so you know, it's. Um, when it was good, it was great, and um, I had a great time doing it most of the time, and I love the people I did it with, and we had some big moments on the show, And uh, but it, it's very hard now. Back then, it was like three critics that you wanted to, if, if you pay attention to them. It was Janet Maslin in the Times, Tom Shales at the, that point was in the Washington Post, and I thought the best of them all was Howard Rosenberg mm-hmm. here with the LA Times. He was a great, really good critic, I thought. And um, now it's this thousands and thousands of them during the show, <laughs> and you know, and you, and you know, you don't want it in your mind coming off going, "Am I trending?" That, but that's exactly <laughs> what, that's happens. what happens. You make a joke, and if that joke doesn't work, everybody in the world is talking about it. Well, that's once. sort of like yeah. when, when they had Seth MacFarlane do it, and then you know, he made a couple, he made a couple of jokes that were, you know, like Seth MacFarlane, and then people were like. How could he? Like, well, what did you think <laughs> yeah. was going to happen? I thought the boob did, song was exactly what. Did, you, <laughs> not, <laughs> look at a second of his work before oh. this, and you seem, you know. I mean, it's like, but everyone just. I mean, I I get that it is the pinnacle of the, what you would do if you're an actor. You'd be the Oscars, but I feel like everyone's just so serious and so like yeah. this is the most important thing. It's like it's it's not. I mean, it's important, but it's, it's not the most important. It also thing. now is there. Yes, that's true. But also now comes at the end of a. When it first started, of course, there were just the Emmys and the Oscars and then and the Grammys. And then... There's award fatigue, for sure. My God. And then Dick Clark created the American Music Awards. And then became the People's Choice Awards. And then became the Award Awards. And right. the, you know, the, the Outstanding Pet Shows. And, and whatever it may... It's just... Um, 
it became too many. There's just too many. So you've already seen everybody, you know, and you you sort of know who's going to win. You know, there are very few horse races anymore. Right. And it's and the last year, the last opportunity to do the jokes. Yeah. It's like all the jokes have been made, the Golden Globes and all right. that stuff. Yeah. So it's like you kind of have to. And when I did it, you know, um, when I was doing it frequently, I, it used to be on Mondays. It used to be on Monday night. I used to love that because people would have to, it became more like a, there was an urgency. It wasn't like the Sunday's Oscar day, like the yeah. Super Bowl. They had to leave work. They had right. to get, it, it was, there was more of an urgency to watch the show. And when we would, you know, at our height with, you know, the funny openings and stuff, I, I used to love to watch newsmen uh, on the local news saying, well, I'm getting out of here. I want to see how that show's going to open. You know, <laughs> it used to be fun. You know, I, so I like it when it was on Monday nights. It felt more, I, I don't know. I forgot that it used special. to be on Monday. Was yeah, just, for, yeah now, now it's the all-day thing right. that they can yeah. build around it and yeah. all the... Uh, it's the coverage of everybody arriving on the red oh, carpet. Yeah. It's, it's such bad coverage. I was I was watching it before I went to work that day, and it was just all puns of, you know, they were talking about Rosamund Pike's dress, and it's like, and she was pregnant, but she wore this dress. I think this dress is Gone Girl, and it's just like, <laughs> I want I wanted good. to punch through. <laughs> I wanted to punch through. I wish there was a haptic feedback on my yeah. TV screen so I could do this and then watch it go <laughs> out. Like, I just I just wanted some. Well, some the worst part is them like like they'll like a guy will be up an actor and they'll be like, oh, tell us about you know the the process of doing it, and then the an actress walks up and they go, tell us about your dress. Oh yeah, it's, it's like it's like they don't have any care about what they're yeah. doing, but. Um, um, yeah. I um, I got to present at the Emmys for the first time this year, and that scared the shit out of me. But I saw you after the show, and it was a flurry of yes. activity. And I just and I want to re-express that I think what you said and did was wonderful, and and uh, and also it, you know I know it couldn't have been an easy thing. So it was the hardest thing I've I've had to do because it was so public. You know, it was to pro- it was only two weeks after. Uh, Robin had passed away, and it was so you know it was so much to listen. It's months now, and I'm still processing. And you know, I don't know if I'll ever get through everything, but that was hard. And to try to find the right words and humor and laughs, and um, and not break down in front of everybody at the rehearsal the day before. I walked out, saw his picture up there, and I walked off. I said, "I can't do this. I'm not. I'm not can't. I'm not ready yet." And I came back a half hour later and just read it, but. You know, it's, it was so confusing. It was so painful. Will always be that. Um, and so, you know, just to... I remember seeing you and, and, and uh, another moment when I walked off, Jay was there, Lena was there, who had come to see me before the show started. And, you know, Jay and I started out together. Robin came a little bit after us and we've all been very close. And Jay... <laughs> Was just so emotionally just held on to me and just you know wouldn't let me go for a while and that was was a nice feeling. It's what I needed at the time um, and that an old friend like him was there. Uh, that was you know it was something. I, it's just it's still odd and confusing and maddening and um, we all you know think of him. I think of him all the time. I saw, I was actually watching. It was in, I was in the backstage area where they corral people, and I was watching it next to Jay, and just watching him. He was just shaking his head, and I could see his eyes welling up, and it just like it, it was. He was profoundly watching you, watching the thing. Um, but I think it was important because I don't think there's anybody else that could have done it besides you. I don't think anyone else. Would have I don't think it would have helped as much, but I think it really, as hard as it may have been, I have to say I think it really helped. I don't people. think I, I don't think so. I've ever heard <clears throat> something 
so brilliantly boiled down as what a concept. It just, that is the thing I'll always remember is because it's, it perfectly epitomizes who that man was and how unique he was. And in my lifetime, I don't remember that many um, passings that had that much of a devastating response where everybody, everybody around the world just sort of stopped and was like, how can... How can this be? Because he was such a life force. Well, yeah. Because obviously, we understand how humanity works. We understand what happens. We understand that we lose people. And I just, I just lost my dad the year before. I, I understand. So sorry. But it's still the idea that like there are some people, a very few people in the world, where you're like, oh, that can't be. That's not. He's right. immortal. How is that even remotely possible? You know, I was. I was um, we were in Rome um, when I got the call. And... So we turned around and, and came right back. And in the Rome airport was an international newsstand. And headlines from all around the world. His face. Everywhere. Russian newspapers. London. Um, Spain. You name it. And it, that was the story of the day. This hateful world um, that's getting stranger and more violent every day. Stopped for a second to go... Oh no, and that I thought was pretty astounding. Yeah, I mean, to be able to take something like this and still be able to—I mean, this is part of what comedy helps us process. This is what comedy helps us do, and that's why you know, like seeing that you could take something, be respectful, but also know that it was important to try to you know relieve some of the tension with comedy i mean i i often wonder how people who don't have comedy in their lives deal with horrible things yeah well i i was off to the left on stage and the in memoriam package which was difficult enough yeah um because there was some very incredible people a part of that that year and i walked out and everyone knew i was going to do it but yet there was six thousand that's a big place so there's about five or six thousand people in that theater. And they, as one, their head just turned to me. And it was, okay, here we go. And it was thick with sadness and confusion. And, um, you know, there was just a look in people's eyes. I remember, you know, just looking at people, just they, they were looking at me going, help. Yeah. How do, what are you going to end? And so, you're just as confused as everyone else. Yeah, and you know, I was, he was my closest friend, and um, uh, it was just so, I don't know, even I had to talk about it anymore. Well, and I think watching, I don't know if this makes any sense, but watching the first episode of your show last night, and watching you be okay and be funny, and make it, like, it, it kind of made me feel better about everything. It kind of made me feel like, okay, yeah, Billy's doing better, so I, no, I, I, feel, I'm, I'm, I, feel, I feel okay. Like, I feel okay, <laughs> Billy's okay, I feel okay. You know, um, I sent him um, the shows when I, I, these, I think they sent 10 or 12 of the Swedish shows. And I was telling him about it, that I'm thinking I'm, I'm going to do this. And he goes, let me see him, let me see him. So I sent him, the, and he went crazy how great they were. And got it right away, what we would do with it. And, um, and, and he, you know, he was so happy that it was going to be the right thing for me. Um, that, you know, I, I, st- I think about him all the time whenever I get a chance to 
to play with Josh and do stories that are so inspiring and funny and offbeat, and I'm happy doing them. Yeah. He wasn't happy doing his show when he, his, you know, the, 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 crazy, the, ones. the crazy ones. He was not, he, and he wasn't feeling well, and he didn't even know what was going on with him. It was before he was diagnosed with, a, with a Parkinson's, and he wasn't well. He knew something was going on, and he, but he just wasn't really, he knew that I would be happier in my show than he was in his, mm-hmm. and that made him joyous for me. And that's why, you know, friends like that and people like that are so rare to to you know pull from me that way and know that it would be a you know a, a good situation and it's I you know some of the shows I do I I I wish I could pick up the phone and call them and say you know what we did today you know so you know well I think it's um, I mean and everyone everyone who's lost people knows this I I think but the the the, the thing that I've been feeling is you know even though I know that like certain people aren't around my dad they're not around. I still kind of feel, I think back and the things that used to make me sad are very comforting to me. Or I feel like, oh yeah. Or I, I feel like, I really feel like it's still there in my molecules. Like yeah. I feel like it's still a part of the thing. And even just sort of having conversations still, you know, yeah. is very, is very My helpful. only regret with him, listen, we've, I had him in my life for a long time and I'm forever grateful for that. And we had some amazing moments on, uh, on and off stage. My only regret is that we didn't tape record uh, our phone calls <laughs> and make an album of them <laughs> or go in you know we, one of my last calls with him I said why don't you come down or I'll come up there and we'll, we'll just rent the studio for two three days and we'll just go and see what we have because it, it's the, they were so bizarre and great we would go for hours sometimes <laughs> and hang up like like sweating <laughs> like that was a workout you know because it was just I'm watching Ronald Reagan's funeral. I'll share the, and I told this at his memorial. I'm watching the, the, the Reagan's funeral. Phone rings. I look at the phone. I see it's four one. You know, he was in San Francisco. So I said, "Oh, all right." I go, "Hello," and I hear this. Bill, <laughs> hi, it's Ron. Ron. Mr. Reagan, yeah, well, you can call me Ronnie. Everybody at the studio called me Ronnie, and I think of you as a studio guy. But how is this possible? I'm watching your funeral. Oh, that's my stunt guy. <laughs> So, um, how is uh, heaven? Well, you know, I'm a little confused. It's a lot hotter than I thought it was. <laughs> I said, well, <laughs> you may not be in heaven, because if it's hot, you may be in the other place. Oh, well, that would explain why I'm in a hot tub and Nixon's balls are resting on the bridge of my nose. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was so. We had you know blessed moments like that. Well, I think it's I think it is important that um, because I, I think there are a lot of comics. Uh, you know, I, I'm assuming Robin being a prime example of people not being able to connect with how much joy they bring the world. So I think it's important when you do have. A, a job that you like or you are doing stuff that, that you really do should really try to enjoy it. I mean, like, that that's important. I've had the best time. I, you know, we every day we just go, we got a chance to do this. You know, the shows are very strong. They're very funny. They're very smart. They're very inventive. 
as the season progresses, it'll it'll take people to a different place. As um, you know, we carefully scripted this whole season with an arc for us getting on the air and getting a time slot that we wanted, and so on and so forth. the The show was all about the process of making this show, mm-hmm. and um, and, and during the course of it, you know, on it's as you know at home, we'll see we'll see that that Josh and I have a show within the show called the Billy and Josh Show. So that's mostly in front of a, a live audience or these film pieces that roll in and out. Are you doing Those real are really sketches good. in yeah. front of the audience? Yeah, yeah. Oh, the, the one with the, the businessmen talking at the same time. <laughs> yeah. It's like it, when the first like the first time you show, I love that it becomes a runner. Yeah. But like I love it by the end. It just keeps on escalating. Was, <laughs> I was just like, this is perfect. It's the perfect way to do like – it's like a hybrid it's, show. I'll tell you much. what was so special about that one is uh, Mel Brooks was at the table read for that one uh, yeah. before he did the guest star. And he and Mel is still to this day, as well as he should be, he's earned it, the most critical person when it comes to comedy. <laughs> and so he, uh, you feel like you're doing this in front of like your favorite teacher and you want to make sure that you're going to get an A+. Plus. And he hears that sketch and he goes, now that is funny. <laughs> that is very funny. <laughs> and it was like to hear that from that man meant everything because it's like, all right, well, we definitely we got one that worked. Yeah. I, to- I told the story on the podcast before. I think it was when Mel was on. Uh, is a friend of mine named Rob Paulson, who's a voiceover guy, was working on the animated version of Spaceballs like years and years oh, wow. ago, and he was super freaked out. But he was this young, cocky comedy guy, and Mel Brooks was there, and Mel was like, uh, "We need to. There are these characters called Dinks, and we need a name for one. This one Dink brings someone a thing of water, and we need to come up with a name for it." And Rob goes, "I got it." Gunga Dink, thinking he was going to get carried out of the room in celebration. And Mel pointed at him and goes, Kid, wit is shit. Funny is money. Any more ideas? <laughs> and he, Rob just sank down, just hmm. chubbed up in his chair. And I told that story to Mel, and he was like, That sounds like something I would have said. <laughs> <laughs> when you sit with it, we would have these regular Monday lunches, and, you know, that I got invited to by Phil Rosenthal. Um, and Phil put these lunches together, and I'm sitting there, and it's um, Norman Lear, and it's Carl, and it was the late Larry Gelbard, who was a genius guy and, and an amazing comedy writer, but a wonderful person, and, and Mel, and it was just every Monday, you know, you go to the Hall of Fame. And he's, I've known him since 1977. Wow. Uh, our kids, his son Max, who yeah. sort of created the whole Max, zombie. Max, genius, yeah. genius. And my daughter Jenny were in Where elementary school together. They were in school together. They were room, uh, class roommates. They were classmates. And so now I'm like, oh my God, I go to my first parent-teacher meeting and, and Mel's there. And with, with Ann Banker, it was like, <laughs> it was just so crazy. So when I finished my first run on Broadway and the producers was right across the street from, from our theater, we f- we finished. We went to Tony. It was a great year. All right, I'm on my way back to to L.A. Mel calls. Billy, Mel, listen. Um, do the producers? You'll do it till you know Christmas, and you'll make whatever deal you want to make, and that'll be great. And then you know, it'll be perfect. You're Max. You'll be a Max. I said, oh, Mel, Mel. With all due respect, I love the show. I've waited for you to ask me to do something my entire <laughs> life. But I don't want to be the eighth guy <laughs> to play Max Bialystok. He goes, you won't be. You'll be the 12th. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
That's brilliant. And then he and then he tried to recruit Billy and I to do it again. Yeah, when he did the show. Yeah, yeah. I want you guys to think about doing it. You play Bialystok and Bloom. The thing is. I want you to go on tour with <laughs> as if that would be like the most appealing version of coming back to do it. But do you it. understand the do you understand the weight of what you're saying? Is that like if someone took young Josh Gad aside and go It's incredible. Someday Mel Brooks is gonna ask you to be in the producers and I, you're gonna tell him no. I left with the shittiest grin on my face yeah. uh, the first time we met Mel. We went into his office. You see all of these posters that have left this unbelievable influence on you growing up from blazing saddles. To the elephant man, uh, to the elephant man, <laughs> young Frankenstein, young Frankenstein, the, the producers, all the of these unbelievable things. By the way, he's got all of his awards on a mantle, uh, and his favorite one is the uh, the satellite. Award. It's a science fiction award. It's a science fiction award. That's one he's proudest of. <laughs> And it's not even his. It's it's Max. It's Max's. <laughs> That's the craziest part. Max Max is now into. No one says zombies funnier than Mel Brooks. He's into zombies. Zombie. <laughs> incredible. They're the Walking Dead, like my uncle Bernie. <laughs> and he's and he's and he's showing you all this stuff. And the thing that he's proudest of beyond anything else. Is that he has water at his disposal at any time? I know. See the little paper cups, and he that's real. He loves offering water, but he pours it out of a. He pours it. It's not bottles. (laughs) (laughs) It's an old fashioned pitcher. It's amazing. But it's funny what sixty because when he was growing up and when he was when he was a young person, broke and you know struggling. To him, that was probably like. That's how you've made it. When you have water at right. your disposal yeah, yeah. and you can freely pour it to people yeah. and it's clean. Like he's... That last special he did was amazing, too. The last HBO special was fantastic. Oh, he, yeah. he yeah. by the way, is still as sharp as... 89. A, he's unreal. And so is Carl. Carl's 93. Yeah. yeah. I think it's... Gives you hope. It does give you hope. <laughs> and I think, you know, because uh, a lot of us have seen it go the other way where it's like... Guys, you idolize, and then they disappear for a while, and they come back, and you're like, I don't know, something's not, you know. But, <laughs> but <laughs> does your voice get that high? Yeah. Oh, man, it's so good. I don't know. It's a reaction. <laughs> I'm in the talkies now. <laughs> but uh, when, uh, but talking to Mel and then and to Joan Rivers, it's yeah. like because they were still so engaged in everything, it's like, yeah. well, that's the secret, you know. It's like you, they're 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 still. They're still hungry, for better or for worse. They still want to know. They want to understand. They want to learn. Carl was just on Fallon when Jimmy had the show out here. Carl was on. Um, he's, he's just written. He wrote three books this year. Jesus. He's 93. You know, they can, no one can still read can. three books yeah. at 93. <laughs> and, um, and he was still hilarious. He was just hilarious. They're, 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 you know, they're fantastic people. Well, I'm. Uh, I'm. When is when is comedians premiere? April 9th, ten o'clock. April before 9th, Louis, right before Louis, nice. with the lead in for Louis. <laughs> it's a really good. terrific hour of comedy. I have night. to say, that's fantastic. Yeah, it really is, and the show is so unbelievably unique and special. And I think laugh out loud funny. It is, and, and I'm I'm really excited for people to see it. And Stephen FX Weber. F, and Stephen Weber's on the show too. Yes, yeah. And uh, first two episodes, and, and some, I have to say, Megan Ferguson and um, Matt O'Berg and um, Stephanie Stephanie Weir, Weir wow. are so wow. They're the, they're the 
that's our cast, and they are They're the secret weapon. People. I mean, they really are. The, the ensemble of this show makes us look even better, and, and it really is. We, we have an all-star cast in front and behind the scenes. Is Laura Craft writing on the show? Yes. yes and Andy Secunda? <clears throat> yes. yes. Andy's amazing. Andy's brilliant. Yeah, a brilliant Laura's improviser, great. and Laura Craft is one of the funniest. And Andy's on the yeah. show as well. Oh, he's on the show as he's well. He's our he cue card, card, card guy. <laughs> oh, nice. He's amazing, but Laura Craft to me, is one of the funniest like in a conversation, yeah. Oh, she's, she's like a comedy goalie. Like you right. cannot get anything by her. <laughs> yeah. She will double down, and you're like, this is really hard. Like she's so fucking funny. Yeah, it's it really is. It's such an incredible group of people, and and I and I can't wait for people to finally see what. Well, we're also just on. the idea, uh, and I. This is going to sound like I'm kissing FX's ass. I'm not. I don't have any. I don't have to. I just. I pitched a show there recently and looked around at the wall in the pitch room, and it's very intimidating because you re- you forget how many amazing shows that they have right. made across all di- you know the Shield and Justified and Louie and and uh, Fargo, 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 Fargo and Sons right. of Anarchy, yeah. and it's like the, sh- they're the all, Americans. They're all yeah. Yeah. Incredible, incredible shows. So, but it comes at the it starts at the top with them. John Landgraf, um, who runs the joint is one of the smartest, most articulate men I've ever will, met, or I mean, person I should say, yeah. um, that I've ever met. It's actually a joy getting notes from yeah. them because you know, inevitably, they will make it only better, which is a rarity. You're are you saying that because they're being recorded right now? No, no, no. Or? It's actually the truth. We've discussed. It's like every time we get notes, which are rare, it always just helps the product, and it's it's a wonderful position to be in where you get to work with people who are oftentimes just the best at what they do. Well, that, because I'm sure, I'm sure over the years people have said, oh, come back and do network television. It's like, eh, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's okay. You know? I didn't want to be the, the, the grandfather who didn't know how to use a cell phone. I didn't want to <laughs> yeah. be the guy who... Uh, did oh, did I say grandpa? that? Did I say that? What? Wacky grandpa. Yeah, why did yeah. I come into this room? Right. I didn't want to be that guy. <laughs> right. I'm me. And, I, and yeah. after all the years and all the stuff I've done, the best part I have is by playing myself. Yeah, you know, that's great. <laughs> well, uh, you guys, thank you so much for thank you, thank you for coming and being here on the podcast. Yeah. It's amazing to have you back again. And I don't think you've been, you haven't been on the I've podcast. I've never done it. So this and, is, and I'll never do it again. After what the this was it? Went. Yeah, this, this would be such a wise guy. Well, I'm not being wise. I'm he's I'm, terrific. That's why I, I yeah, I'm terrific. Until Josh, until he has me on the walking, until he has me on the Talking Dead, you can be on Talking Thanks. Dead. Then I'm doing this podcast. You should be tomorrow. on at midnight too. You both should be on at midnight. Let's do it. Have you seen him in yet? I love that. It's a stand up. It's a comedy. It's a game show for comedians. You you guys would I love it. be incredible. I saw TJ on there. TJ Miller. Yeah. TJ Miller is always funny on the television <laughs> program. I love watching. I love TJ. I, I'm so happy for like seeing all the people that are my friends that were all in sort of I the know. same class. Like the rest of the world discovering. I how did a fucking pilot with TJ years ago, and I'm like, this is one of the funniest human beings I've ever met in my life, and nobody knew who he was yet. And it bleeds over into yeah. his life. Like the 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 lines between between performance TJ and oh, TJ, and TJ are very, very blurred. Yeah. There's a line. There's, yeah. there's no line. <laughs> there's no line. <laughs> well, good. You can come on. You can come on anything you want, Josh. Thank Gad. you. Thank and uh, thanks for being here, you guys. My pleasure. Enjoy your burrito, everyone. Thank you. Amazing. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much. Oh, it was great. Yeah, that was fun. Such good stories. Those are... I, I've never even heard some of those stories. Those are incredible. I made them up. You did, didn't you? Knew <laughs> it. Now leaving Nerdist.com. Enjoy your burrito. 
Hey, it's Guy Raz here, the host of How I Built This, a podcast that gives you a front row seat to how some of the biggest products were built and the innovators, entrepreneurs, and idealists behind them. Every week, I speak to someone new, stories like Justin Wolverton's, a lawyer who just wanted a healthy alternative to ice cream, so he created Halo Top in his Cuisinart. Or Todd Graves, who grew his fried chicken restaurant Raising Cane's into one of the most successful fast food chains in the U.S. All of these great conversations can help you learn how to think big, take risks, and navigate crises in life and work from people who've done all of that and more. Follow How I Built This on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to How I Built This early and ad-free right now on Wondery Plus.